Hey, I'm Paul Perry. I'm Kim Hartsock, and you're listening to The Wrap, a Warren Abert podcast for business leaders designed to help you access vital business information and trends when you need it. So you can listen, learn, and then get on with your day. Now, let's get down to business. Hey, Kim. Hey, Paul. How are you doing today? Wonderful. And welcome to all of our listeners to episode three of the new season of The Wrap Podcast. Absolutely. Happy to be here today. And today, uh, we're going to be having a good conversation around cybersecurity. And I definitely am the outsider of this this group today, since all three of you live and breathe cybersecurity pretty much every day. Um, so I'm going to try to be the, the gatekeeper to make sure that we keep our conversation so that those of us who aren't considered experts in cybersecurity will still be able to follow the conversation and learn things today. So that's going to be my job today to keep you guys in line. I'm very excited about our guests as I am for all of them. Um, but, but in this one, we're bringing in a, a former FBI agent who dealt with cybersecurity um, in, in a lot of different arenas. Darren Mott is with us today. Darren, happy to have you here. Thanks, Paul, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. And also with us is uh, uh, my good colleague, Justin Headley, uh, within our uh, risk and controls group, uh, does a lot of uh, cybersecurity um, auditing and reviews and just discussions uh, in, in, in what he does on a daily basis for Warren Abert. So Justin, we're happy to have you here as well. Thanks, Paul. Happy, happy to be here. Well, Darren, if you could just maybe take a few moments and introduce yourself to the listeners, tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you've done in the past and then what you're focused on now. Sure. So I joined the FBI in 1999. Prior to that, I'd spent seven years teaching high school science. And how I got from that to an FBI agent is a whole other topic altogether. But uh, joined the Bureau. And at the time, the FBI was trying to get a handle on really what the cyber crime perspective was. There weren't even cyber squads within field offices. And so I was blessed to have uh, be assigned the Charlotte Field Division, which was one of 16 offices that had a dedicated cyber squad and started working uh, intrusions and, and investigations around cyber crime uh, from there. I uh, went to FBI headquarters, worked uh, in our national program, tried to build some relationships with Russia, because what we were finding is a lot of the hackers that we were dealing with at that time were coming out of out of Russia. And so we were trying to tell them, hey, you've got these guys, we've, you know, we have evidence that they've done these crimes. Can you help us? They said, sure, sure, come on over. Uh, and other than giving us a lot of vodka and tours of their their historical sites, we really didn't accomplish a whole lot, or at least as much as I would have liked to. So went from there to Cleveland to run a cyber squad, uh, went back to headquarters to integrate the cyber and counterintelligence skills into a more national initiative uh, and ended my career in the Birmingham division uh, for my last seven years, running a counterintelligence uh, program with some cyber aspects to it. Um, retired in 2019 and worked for the National Cybersecurity Operations Center here in Huntsville, where we do cybersecurity protection for the defense industrial base and other critical national infrastructure related organizations. And all of those services are offered to them at no cost. That is wonderful. It's good to have uh, one of the, one of, what I will call the nation's leading experts in cybersecurity here to have this conversation with us and talk to our listeners. Justin, you want a little little background on you, please? Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I'll give it a little background here. Uh, I'm manager here at Warren Averett in our security risk and controls group. And, you know, basically uh, what, what we do here in our group is we minimize risk and you know, maximize peace of mind. So anything from controls related perspective to cybersecurity uh, are things we kind of help our clients with. Well, it's good to have you here and, and you and Darren this, uh, and Kim should be a wonderful conversation. So let's just go ahead and kick it off, Darren, uh, if you don't mind. Um, you know, 
supply chain risk is a, is a topic that a lot of businesses talk about. They may call it vendor management. Um, a lot of businesses are calling us and saying, hey, you know, everything with SolarWinds, everything that's Microsoft that's in the news, what is it I need to be worried about? You know, I'm getting phishing emails. Is that coming from the Microsoft um, hack that's, that's occurred? And, and we have to kind of put that into perspective for them. When they see that, when they see those types of topics out there, what do they need to be worried about as a business owner and, and how do they need to respond? Right, well, I think the best thing to think about, and I, so I've done a lot of presentations to a lot of companies over my the course of my career, and I, I kind of talk the same thing at the beginning. And the par- large part of it is a lot of companies from a cybersecurity perspective are more reactive than proactive. So they don't really worry about the problem until it hits them and they're dealing with it. So you kind of have to start off from the perspective of who is targeting me and why, not necessarily the methodology. That's certainly important to understand, but it comes down to cyber risk. So what is your cyber risk? And risk is threats times vulnerabilities. So if you don't understand either of those two aspects, you're not going to understand your cyber risk. So looking at the threat perspective, for most businesses, there's really two main, well, three, call it three, but three main threat areas you can deal with. One are cyber criminals that want to steal your personal information to sell it on the dark web or to monetize it in some way. And then you have your cyber espionage actors, which are your nation state actors, which want to steal your intellectual property. And depending on the nation state, they may have a, if your company has a, a national critical infrastructure perspective or some some attachment there, there's information they would want from you from there from an espionage perspective. North Korea does a lot of ransomware targeting just to fund the regime. So a lot of companies need to look at who is targeting me and who is the most important threat I need to deal with to mitigate my risk. I'm not going to mitigate it all. So if you are a financial organization, they're coming at you for your information for money. It's really clear. If you're a defense industrial-based company, they're looking for your intellectual property because especially China wants to steal it so they can duplicate it and sell it and under undercut you. So you have to understand your threats first and then understand your vulnerability. So the Microsoft vulnerability that came out two or three weeks ago hit anybody that had an on premises Microsoft Exchange server. If you didn't have that on your on your premises, it didn't really matter. But these attacks come from a variety of different areas and the attackers will target different entities for different reasons. We had a case when I was working in Cleveland where the Chinese had compromised three servers within the Cleveland area and were attacking US government systems because launching the attack internal to the United States was easier for them to go undetected by the, the target. Uh, and the the nature of those companies, one was a police department web server. One was a guy who sold an item online. So it was his online web server. He was just like a, a tin sign company. And one was a subway point of sale terminal. There is no commonality between those three targets, but they were targets of opportunity. So, from you know, businesses have to look at what are those threats? And then, you know, the vulnerabilities you have to look at your, how many endpoints do you have? What's your surface attack area? How many, how many people do you have working from home now? You just increased your vulnerability scale by a factor of however many people are working from home simply because those are new attack vectors that you're not protecting from your network overall. I think you bring up a really good point, Darren, there, which is a lot of companies were thinking, well, I'm not a big company, you know, I'm not Target or, you know, some big medical group. I'm just a privately held company in, you know, on the outskirts of Atlanta. And why would I be a target for someone in Russia or China? Or maybe it was someone who thought, well, I don't really have a lot of cyber information, right? We're not a heavy technology company. We're a manufacturing company. Or Mm -hmm. I think you bring up a good point of 
there is no specific type of company that becomes attractive to this and and what they're after is is very different depending on who it is and so maybe speak to that around companies that didn't think they were would be vulnerable but they are right and you're 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 saying the exact same thing I say in all my presentations I have a slide that actually says no one expects to be a victim. I've never gone to a company that had a compromise or was targeted and had information stolen where the first thing they said to me was, well, we knew it was coming. It was our turn in the, in the pipe. Here we are. All of them were shocked. But every company has crown jewels. If they didn't have some kind of crown jewels, and I can't define for you what your crown jewels are, but you all have them. If you didn't have them, you wouldn't be in business. And that is what someone wants to target, especially, I mean, you got to think beyond just the nation state and the criminal hackers. What about your competitors? You know, corporate espionage is a big issue all in itself. And you don't see a lot of news reports on that simply because, A, it doesn't go reported probably. It's largely dealt with civilly. So you're not going to see that criminal aspect to it. And it's complicated in the way that they do it. So you have other threats that that you're just never going to see in the news. SolarWinds, Microsoft, the exchange vulnerability made huge news simply because of the depth and breadth of victims that suffered, that, that were either potential victims, were victims, or had that particular tool on their system. And everybody can look at that and say, ooh, that could happen to me. But, you know, everybody is a target. I, there was a stat from 2008 that 62% of businesses experienced phishing and social engineering attacks in 2018. Now, they weren't all victimized by it, but it shows that everybody is being targeted. Everybody's a target of opportunity. And I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. One, is that one of the biggest issues from a cyber perspective for businesses is what's called the business email compromise. And all they're simply doing is getting into your legitimate business email system. However, they get in it, there's a variety of ways. If you were to go on and do a dark web search, chances are every company listening could find emails and passwords on the dark web from their company in some way, shape, or form. Someone gets access, legitimate access to your email system, and then crafts an email that appears to come from the CFO that goes to your accounting department that says, I have this invoice for this vendor for $70,000. I need you to pay it today, or we're going to lose whatever service. You know, how many are there processes in place that has your finance office double check or do you just, that's how they do business and they send it out. So it's as simple as that. The, the, the bad guy doesn't know who you are, what you do. They just know they can get money out of you. And let's take ransomware, for example, everybody can Perfect. be a victim of that because they don't care who they get hit, who gets hit. They're just, they're just going for the money. You know, something else you talked about there and you talked about the crown jewels, Justin, can you kind of, uh, give us some thought on on the other crown jewel people may not think about, which is their employees and those people getting um, hacked or targeted. Yeah, no, that, that that's a super good point, Paul. And you know, Darren, you're talking about the crown jewels there. And you know, if you kind of turn toward and Darren, you mentioned is you know things not being played in the media, these things you don't hear about. And I think insider threats are another huge risk that people don't really consider. Uh, and, and people's minds automatically go toward the, um, you know, you, you would never think a, an employee that, that you treat well would actually, you know, do something malicious with inside your organization. Uh, but it's something you need to consider the risk. But there's, there's the intentional piece of there, uh, the, the unintentional piece of that people don't really consider of, like you mentioned, the business email compromise of, you know, clicking on links, allowing something to come into your organization. There's the unintentional piece there. But also the intentional, um, you, you know, you, you can't can't let that fall off your radar. Um, it's, it's really important to put controls in place that you're monitoring employee activity that 
access that you give to uh, applications within your system, uh, your domain administrators, making sure that those are appropriately restricted are, are super important there too. And, you know, you make a great point on insider threats. My first case in the FBI was an insider threat. The guy, where, and this was, this, the company makes the storage, you know, you, you see all the storage facilities, the, the U-Haul storage and all that stuff. They do the fencing for all of that. So they had a guy who stole all of their intellectual property in North Carolina and took it to a competitor, their main competitor in Arizona. Simple as that. He had access to the information, took it all. The company didn't take the means they needed to protect it. So ultimately, we couldn't prosecute them because the victim company didn't do the necessary things they, they needed to protect their data. So extrapolate that now 20 years. It's a lot easier to steal that information and get it than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, and I think something else that you know is a lot better now is education, right? People are becoming more educated on on cyber security and what all that means. And I think the first step is understanding that you don't have to be a technology company to have cyber security issues. Um, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about education. Let's talk about the culture of, of education and, and making this an important part of your culture. What are some things that you can share with our listeners that are business owners or business leaders on how to create that, how to sustain that, what they need to be focused on? That's a great question. And that's really the biggest issue, I think, for all businesses is how do you help your employees create what you need, like a cyber secure mindset? How do they think that everything that they do revolves around that cyber secure mindset, thinking that there's a risk or a threat around every corner? Because a lot of times, if you're dealing with technology, you're on the computers all day, there are threats around every corner. And the problem is, Companies, you know, cybersecurity training, cybersecurity in general is a profit loss for any company. You're not making money on, on it, but you have to spend money to deal with it. Um, and so, and the other part of that is there's a compliance issues. Depending on what industry you're in, you have certain compliance requirements. If you deal with credit cards, you have PCI requirements. If you're healthcare, you get HIPAA issues. If you're DIB, you're going to deal with CMMC. So you've got all these compliance requirements around cybersecurity. And part of that is training and cybersecurity awareness. So how do you create that? How do you solve that problem? How do you beat that compliance piece? A lot of companies just, you know, they buy, they go to know before and they hire, they buy whatever the know before training is. And they tell their employees, go to this website, take this training for 20 minutes. All good. And if that's the minimum, minimum you do, that's the minimum you do, but you're going to get the minimum out of it. So you almost need to, there needs to be some kind of paradigm shift in education. Cause I think we've all seen it now. We've all had some kind of cyber education at our work, but a lot of it is how quickly can I get through these PowerPoints? So you almost need to develop a more dynamic educational approach that brings in someone who has examples for, this is what happened to a company like yours. Here's what they had to do to deal with it. And here's how much it cost them. You know, we could talk about annualized loss expectancy and all that kind of stuff, but who wants to be bored with the numbers? But, you know, you could spend $25,000 on a very good quality cybersecurity educational program or you can hope you don't get hit with a cybersecurity event because one data breach, the average cost for a data breach as of 2019 was $3.92 million. So let's extrapolate that over 10 years. That's what, $392,000 a year? That's your ALE. So pay $25,000 for good education or hope that one that one time hit doesn't pound you. If you can train your employees to have that cybersecure mindset so that it helps them protect themselves beyond the business, then they're being more engaged to because they want to protect themselves, but they also then can protect the business. So that's my perspective on it. I don't know if everybody believes in that perspective, but that's kind of where I come down on it. 
No, I, I totally agree with that, with that, dear. I mean, so, so often we see even organizations that, that, that have been hit sort of been burned. It, it's still a cybersecurity security awareness is still a, it's still a check the box thing. Like you mentioned with how quick can I get through this PowerPoint slide? And it, it's a whole different, you know, uh, difficulty actually changing the mindset and actually developing that security awareness culture within your organization. And one thing we always like to tell clients is that you can have all the best technology in the world, you know, the best firewalls, the best endpoint protection, but all of that can be undone with, with one click of an email and, you know, training users to, to really think that I, you know, cybersecurity is not something we toss over the fence to IT, that we are all on the front lines and we are all dealing with, with these on a daily basis. And, you know, really training people to kind of develop that mindset is, is definitely more difficult than done. To learn more about Darren, check out his podcast, The Cyber Guy, spelled C-Y-B-U-R, wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, back to the show. So, I mean, hearing all of this, is there is there ever a point where you've you've reached the end of cybersecurity? You know, you're, you've prevented you everything. <laughs> yeah, yes. Help us set some realistic expectations on how to be prepared, how to be aware, how to create a culture of awareness, but with some realistic expectations. Sure. Well, I think the first realistic expectation you need to have is that at some point you are going to be a victim of something. Now, it may not be a big problem. You may be someone clicks on a link and it compromises a computer, but you're able to isolate that computer because you have an incident response plan in place that you practiced. You have a forensic, you have the ability to do forensics. You have the ability to isolate that computer immediately. If you've thought of nothing of these things, you're just going to go on, well, when we get hit, we'll deal with it then. Ask Huntsville City Schools how that worked for them. They got hit with ransomware. They couldn't do anything for a week because they everything was locked up. So a better example is the city of Atlanta. So you would think the city of Atlanta would, you know, have a fairly good cybersecurity plan in place. $19 million later, they recovered from their ransomware attack. So you know, and, and likely 90% of the cases the FBI ever works and 90% of the cyber cases that are ever seen started with a social media or a social engineered email, a phishing email. Someone clicked a link, opened an attachment, went to a website and bad things started to happen. So, you know, that's kind of the simplest. There's, there's simple things you can do. Like the number one thing, which I can't believe no businesses do, or, 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 or a policy at least they have, or maybe some in the in, that in your listening audience have, is don't allow personal email on your network. If you, we all have phones now. If you want to do your personal email, look at it on your phone. Don't open up a browser in your corporate network to check your Yahoo or your 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 Gmail or whatever, and then click a link within it. Now, ideally, if you have technology in place that's going to identify malware, great. But, you know, even the technology is not going to save us. You can buy all the technology you want. There's plenty of companies that have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on technical solutions, and half of it is still sitting in the box in the closet. All right. So, you know, technology is not going to save you. Education will help because you get, again, if you can create that cyber secure mindset, you can greatly reduce the risk of someone clicking on that link. You can do fish testing and then fish testing and remediation training to why you shouldn't have done that. But you can, no company has a 0% um, success rate on fish testing that I'm aware of. I had one company that said, we were talking about this and they said, well, we had, we only had 8% failure rate, except for the one person that clicked the link 42 straight times. Why is this not working? So, you know, it's understand that risk is going to be there. You can reduce your risk 
by doing some 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 education to making people understand that they're the first line of defense for your company. Um, and it's going to come through them uh, and some combination there. And if you want to get rid of it all together, the best thing you can do, throw out all your computers, move to Antarctica, and you'll be good. But beyond beyond that, uh, the risk is going to always be there. All you can hope to do is, is reduce it to a level that's acceptable to you. Now, if you have, so I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm, little, I'm doing a little filibustering here, but if let's take ransomware as an example. If you have backups that you test your backups and you 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 know that they're they're good and clean and you get hit with ransomware, you can recover from that fairly simply. So that at that point, ransomware is not really a big risk to you. If your crown jewels are all isolated on a standalone system that only people can go into a room and log into that system to see whatever it is they see, be it business plans, corporate information, whatever, then you can probably figure my risk is pretty low. No one's going to get to that particular to that information. The one thing I'll, I'll tag to that is the insider threat becomes a bigger issue there because it's not just cyber is a problem, it's the human problem too. We had a case where there was a company, they had all their crown jewels on a standalone computer in a blue room. We were, we had information, I'm trying to say this without getting myself in trouble for talking about classified stuff, but we had information that a certain nation state told someone they knew who was in that particular city, you need to go to that company and get into the blue room. So they knew that there was a room with blue paint on it that had the information they wanted. They couldn't get into it technically. So they sent someone there to try to access it. So who are your partners? I mean, this goes way beyond just the cyber piece. It's who your partnerships and all that kind of stuff. So I think the best thing you can do is understand that it's a problem that's not going away. How's the best way that we approach it? It has to be someone's full-time job and maybe more than one person's full-time job. So Justin, kind of piggybacking off that, you know, you, you work with a lot of companies, all sizes, right? Public company to mom and pops with very little resources. What, what best practices, what controls do you see working that, that are, are helpful? And, and you got to keep in mind the size of the organization. They just don't have all the resources and capitals that others do. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, I think it's, Darren mentioned this. I mean, you can really uh, get overwhelmed with some of the stuff and, and think that the more cash I throw at this situation, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to you know, magically resolve it. There's no silver bullets in cybersecurity, unfortunately. Like Darren mentioned, there, there's no piece of technology out there that, that's going to just resolve all your problems. Uh, your money can certainly help. But one thing that we, we get lulled into is people, we see so many organizations put all of their time, energy, and resources into preventing something from happening. And uh, Darren made a great point of regardless of what you do, you know, eventually it's going to happen. It's, it sounds grim, but eventually it's going to happen. So you know, the, the more that you can put into, um, well, I'm not out here to say prevention is, is, not, uh, is not important. It certainly is. But focusing some of that time, energy, and resources on detection and responding is, is so key. We so see so many organizations that you know they that they focus on preventing, and when it happens, you know they're they're running around like crazy. They're not sure what to do. You know, we see it, it's there's a stat out there that it's uh, about about six months to actually detect a an attack or somebody lying within your your organization, and then outside of that, there's another about 60 days to actually to actually stop or remediate that attack. That just shows you right there that organizations are just not prepared to detect and respond to these to these um, to these attacks. If I can piggyback on that, the average life cycle of a data breach according to IBM is 314 days from breach to containment. So Justin, that means I need to change my passwords. What? 
at least every 90 days. <laughs> and don't use the same six right, or right. seven passwords. Yeah, and, and, and then you'll go back to the one that you used six times ago and, and then they'll, they'll have the password and then they'll, they'll hack you. That's right. Yeah. I mean, th there is, there, there's so many things, like I said, you can get overwhelmed with this stuff, but th there's a lot of, you know, take it back to the basics, you know, access, making sure that, you know, access to applications is locked down. No one has too much access within your organization. Education, we, we've kind of beaten the dead horse there, but you can't overexert that. Education is so important. And like Darren mentioned, you know, policy and testing those policies to making sure that you know, if you have to enact those, that they're good and your organization knows how to respond is so key. And multi-factor authentication. Multi-factor. You can't overstate that, right? Exactly. Let's talk about the future. What's the next headline? What's the next conversation? What's the thing nobody's thinking about that as a business owner, when, when, you, when you say it, when somebody says it, you know, it's, that's the thing I've got to work out. I got to watch out for. So let me go back to my risk assessment and let me say, how am I going to prevent this from happening? Well, I'll give you two. Quantum computing and artificial intelligence, I think, are the two big ones. The problem with quantum computing, once it actually becomes more mainstream, it's going to be a while before it's mainstream, but there's going to be, you know, some of the big companies and some of the nation states are going to have access to it fairly quickly. And what because of the rate at which quantum computing can process information, passwords are going to become useless because it's going to take them two minutes to crack a 20 character password. So that's going to be a huge problem, but most, you know, it's not a vulnerability most companies are going to be able to deal with other than they're going to have to think of new ways to authenticate users, be it biometrics, be it, I don't know, I'll be honest, I don't know what that, what that looks like at this point. And then the other thing, and I've been saying this for a couple of years, is artificial intelligence is going to be a huge boon to criminals because you know, we all get the calls, phone calls from the Department of Internal Revenue Service that they're going to come arrest you because you have some problem. So they always sound like they're coming from somewhere in Pakistan. So, you know, they're really not from the Department of Internal Revenue Service. Well, once artificial intelligence becomes more well used and will sound, I mean, you already have deep fakes. We have the deep fakes that look pictures online. When the deep fakes goes to voices, then bad guys are going to be able to use that particular technology to trick people into giving them information that is a lot harder to get now because people are suspecting of certain things. That artificial intelligence is going to make it much easier, which is going to, again, rely on people understanding that technology and what to be, what to be on the lookout for. And I think it's, uh, there's going to be technology we just don't know exists today that's going to be around next year. I mean, you know, two years ago, had any of us heard of TikTok as an issue? No. But here it is. And it's an issue from a counterintelligence perspective. That's a different podcast. But, you know, what technology is going to exist six months from now that looks like it's great for helping businesses do what they need to do and then gets exploited. Microsoft Exchange vulnerabilities for on-prem Microsoft Exchange. Who saw that coming? Yeah, and I think it's things where people start to be concerned, right? When your phone, you know, is using your your eyes and things like that. Um, I just went through the airport, clear TSA pre-check, all those things. It's all done by my fingerprint, my, my retina scan. And it's, that's a little concerning of, do I need to be wearing some sort of glasses that cover up that, right? Because who's going to be, who's trying to take that from me to, to sure. be able to take on my identification. So I, I tend to not be someone that goes down that rabbit trail, but maybe that's a good thing so that I don't get myself too scared to sleep at night. Did we scare you enough today, Kim? <laughs> a little. Well, I think one thing, be, be, be aware of internet of things, devices that you want to bring into the office that'll make your life easier, like you know smart speakers and stuff like that. 
if you're a business and you have Alexa on your network, you might as well just say, welcome Chinese, welcome Russia, come on in and take what you want. There's no reason to have those on your network. Now, if you create a, like a separate Wi-Fi network that is isolated off that anybody can use for whatever, that's fine because you don't care about that network. But if it's connected to your corporate network, you know, do you know what all your endpoints are? If people can come in and plug stuff in to use it, is is that's a vulnerability that you don't want. Yeah, and I think that COVID and and the push for people to go home has just opened Pandora's box for that, right? If you don't have protocol in place to do sweeps of your network and see what people are, you know, maybe you had a policy for that when people were in the office, but are you checking to see what's happening when people are at home? You know, now where personal and business are blurred, right? This this world that we've lived in the past 12 months has really blurred those lines. So I think that just opened up a whole nother um, set of issues that many businesses had not had to deal with before. Right. And I think you're also seeing, you're seeing a lot of new malware targeting Apple devices, be it the, the M1 laptops or your iOS devices. Apple came out last Thursday or Friday with a, a critical um, update to all your iOS devices because there was some vulnerability that bad guys could get access to the data on there. Uh, and the same thing with, with laptops. So, I mean, a lot of people have thought for years, if I have an Apple, I'm good. No one's coming after me, but the bad guys are figuring out that there's, there's a lot of people out there that think that. And so I can target them and, you know, get them to click a link, open on the attachment. And now I have access. They don't know I'm in there and I can do all sorts of good things. But now we have to convince all the people who have been convinced I shouldn't do the update on my phone because it's going to slow my phone down. Apple just wants me to buy a new one. Right. So there's with, with everything, there's always an an alternative issue we have to deal with, but. Yeah. I think one thing, you know, we, we've talked a lot of, uh, we talked about scaring people, you know, a lot of negative things, but I I think one positive thing we've seen with privacy is, you know, lately there's been a trend of uh, demanding privacy rights. So I think that's something that we can, you know, we talk about looking toward the future. We've seen things like you guys mentioned Apple with iOS 14, people dubbing it the, the privacy iOS. So things like, you know, telling you when, when you're, when you're being recorded, when your camera's on, when your microphone's on. Uh, but, but I think that will lead to, you know, again, talking privacy in the future. We don't have a, a U.S. based privacy act yet. some similar to GDPR, but we've seen things like the California Consumer Protection Act, you know, kind of laying the groundwork for a U.S. Uh, kind of a U.S law there. But I, but I think that will, again, in the future, kind of lay more groundwork to if you do hold sensitive information, uh, really coming under scrutiny of how, uh, how you access that information, um, what you do with it, you know, how often you, you hold it, you, you delete it periodically. So I, I think that's something looking toward the future will, will certainly be, be weighing heavy. So here on The Wrap, we always like to wrap up our conversation in 60 seconds or less. What would you like to leave our listeners with to wrap up this conversation? Well, the, you know, the last thing anybody wants to be is the person on the news that got hit with some kind of cyber attack, be it a data breach, be it their own personal information, or heaven forbid, being their child exploited online. The best thing you can do for yourself is create a cyber secure mindset, educate yourself on what the threats are and how to protect yourself. And like Paul mentioned earlier, that may mean listening to different podcasts, having different resources, having, there's a lot of different applications that can help you collate um, different news articles and you can just do it based on topic and then read the ones that are of interest to you. The cyber threats are not going away. Cyber security and cyber issues are going to be a fact of life going forward. So if you don't educate yourself, no one else is probably going to. And, you know, 
Take the responsibility to understand the threats that are targeting you, assess your risk online, and proceed wisely because knowledge is protection. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to piggyback off a little bit of what Darren said there, and we've uh, overstated this a lot, but yeah, education can't be a set it and forget it type thing. Uh, it, it changes all the time, so you, you can't just uh, get into a wall there that I've checked the box annually, uh, and I'm good to go personally as well as for your organizations. So uh, it's so important just to keep on the cutting edge of this stuff because it, it is changing, and um, you, you can't be too safe. Aaron, Justin, what a, what a wonderful conversation, and, and I appreciate both of you uh, being here with us and, and having this discussion. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Really appreciate your time, Great sir. to see you again, Darren. Have a thank good you, night. Yeah, thank, thank you. My you. pleasure, Paul. I'll send you an invite for my podcast. Hey, good to see you, Justin. To okay. See you, Justin. See you. Bye. Bye. And that's a wrap. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on your streaming platform. To check out more episodes, subscribe to the podcast series, or make a suggestion of other topics you want to hear. Visit us at warrenabritt.com forward slash the wrap.